Hi guys, Princess here and welcome to another episode of Buy Pumpkin. Oof, it has been a hell of a week. Um, just to get this out of the way, to start off with, guys, I voted this week. Early voting in Texas started October 13th. Um, one of the things I love about Texas, I like a lot of things about Texas, but one of the things I love about voting in Texas is that when you do, when they do early voting, you can vote anywhere. So you can literally just drive past that grocery store and see if the line is long and go in there and vote or go to this library, go to what it took me. I can't prepare for everything, but it really just took me five fucking minutes. Um, we waited in our cars. They let us know when it was our turn, go in there. It was fucking five minutes inside and gone. No big deal. So guys, just make sure you go out and vote. Um, I know, (laughs) do I want to be starting podcasts this way? Okay. I guess I am going to listen. I know that there will be people out there who tell you voting doesn't matter. And you're right. The voting is not the same as flipping a switch and changing everything. But the fact is that the other people go out and vote. Okay. Christian evangelists, they go out and fucking vote. And that's how they keep people in office who want to take away your health rights, who, excuse me, your abortion rights. I know we say women's health a lot of times, but really they, they want to take away your, they don't care if you get a pap smear. <laughs> they want to take away your abortion rights. I mean, I don't want to be sitting here <laughs> starting off my podcast this way, but remember guys that you have nothing to lose by voting and everything to lose by not voting. That's it. Just fucking go vote. It doesn't take that long. We go to the DMV once every few years. We go to the social security guard, the social security office once every 10 years. I go more often. My husband keeps losing the social security card. <laughs> but I'm a, ugh, don't, don't get me started on that dude right now. <laughs> but, but we go, you bring your book, you bring your, um, you bring your chair, you bring whatever the fuck you need, and you take some time and you just fucking go vote. Just fucking do it. Yeah, it's a chore, but it's a right and a privilege. And there are people out there who can't vote and need you to vote. Namely, all those little young people coming up behind us. All those cute little kids on TikTok. Every time you see a baby in a wig on Twitter, I just saw the most adorable baby. You know, guys, I'm always threatening to leave social media. I saw a baby. <laughs> in a play kitchen with, with one of those, uh, <laughs> charm braces that you get from K's jewelers for your, for your, for your grandma's, uh, birthday. And she had on these, these little pink heels. She was just a little chunk chunk. And I am never fucking leaving Twitter. Where would I get this content? But you know who I vote for? I vote for her. I vote for those babies in the wigs. I vote for those kids on TikTok dancing. Cause I want them. I want them to have a better world than I had growing up. So please fucking vote. That's, I mean, I don't really want to talk about the election this year. I am trying really hard to regulate my emotions. I hate the idea of like, I just hate the idea of what's to come. But, and so I'm not doing a whole lot of talking about it on on Twitter or Instagram or even in my in my real life because I just started a new job. Although I'll say tell you what, I'm working with this older white man and I totally didn't like like I'm just trying to mind my fucking business and not get involved in stuff. And he came in my office uh last week and went on this long fucking rant about about how much 
he hates Trump. <laughs> now, maybe he was doing it for my benefit. I don't know, but I certainly enjoyed it. I looked like that Rihanna gif where, she, <laughs> where she's got her hand on her head and she's just looking like, really? Like, <laughs> anyway, I, I, as a rule, I don't think that most people's minds can be changed. The fact is, like, there are a few people who are truly undecided about things and the rest of the people they just they wait until it personally affects them okay so i don't want to spend a lot of time arguing with people on the internet or in real life or any of that shit but i do think it's important to vote i think it's important to be the change you want to fucking see i think it's important that after this pandemic you go put some sweat into some of the causes that you want and even if you can't do that now I mean, you can do that by doing phone banking. And I mean, there are other ways to put sweat in the causes. And if you don't have the time, they'll certainly take your money, donate some money somewhere. Like seriously, be the change you want to see. You want, you, you want more people being active than you be active and be vocal about it. You, you want this world to spin in a progressive, uh, in a progressive direction and not backwards to try to push us back to the middle ages, then go out there and beat the feet up to the street. <laughs> what the fuck is this Sesame Street? <laughs> I'm exhausted. But I did want to remind you, I voted this week. You guys go vote too as early voting starts and mailing your ballots or whatever the fuck it is you guys do where you are. Do it. Go fucking vote, man. And... If we don't get the result we want this this election, okay. We still have to keep living. We still have to keep walking. We still have to keep moving forward, pushing forward our causes and being that change. We still have to. So steal yourself for this fucking election. Like, I don't know, Put a, build a little wall around your heart. <laughs> and remember that regardless of whether, you know, when I was in school i hated group projects i hate group projects as an adult when i'm working shit like i just i really only trust myself okay and i know it's hard to, to think about going out there and voting but what and what is everybody else gonna vote for i get that but your vote does count and the effort you put out here to make the world a place that you want to see does they count so don't stop don't don't let don't let this shit get you down Depression is a lying, ugly bitch. <laughs> and she'll tell you anything to keep you from moving, okay? So that's it. I want to make sure I tell you that. Oh, oh, guys, guys, thank you so much for everyone. I, I told everyone about on the Patreon bonus episode this week that, um, like, I don't really get to know, like, I don't get numbers on bonus episodes. I don't know who downloads them or how many people listen and everything. And I just asked you guys to interact with some posts, like like them or comment on them, either on Instagram or Patreon. And you guys did, and I really appreciate that because sometimes I feel like I am talking to nobody. When I used to have my old podcast spelling team, I was on Salt Listen Network. Um, it was a Patreon-only podcast. By the way, it's still over there. If you are a Patreon member over there, you can listen to all my old podcasts. Um, they're not awesome, but they are fun. And so <laughs> I was new at it. And so, um, but I really had no idea how many people listened to me. I had no clue at all. And sometimes it feels like that here. I got a, I got a little, I get a little bit more information, but you know how it is. 
Um, so I got some great comments and just people interacting. I really appreciate that. I also got a really good comment from, well, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> oh, a Wattenhofer? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know if that's a name. I don't know if that's like a secret phrase I should know. But uh, this is the comment. Full disclosure, I've never seen this show and I'm just listening to recaps, which are great, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I might be missing some of the nuance. As a late bloomer bisexual, I can definitely tell how a woman can be in her mid-late 20s before coming to terms with their romantic sexual feelings for other women, especially if they've also had attraction to men or in a cultural family environment that doesn't accept anything but heteronormativity. Normativity. Sorry. I lived this experience and did a lot of mental gymnastics explaining away early feelings for women and had to work through a lot of self-doubt when I finally did start to acknowledge those feelings. I know you like it didn't mean any harm, but internalized biphobia can be a real struggle. So I try to be extra accepting of people that don't fully come to terms with their sexuality until later in life. They usually have a lot of self-doubt and self-hatred going on or are working through. Great comment. I really appreciate that because they have a point. They're talking about Tracy. So last week I was talking, I think they're talking about Tracy. I could be wrong. Last week, remember I was talking about Tracy. Tracy went to Magic Mountain with a woman and realized she was, she doesn't say on the show, but they imply she realized she was gay. And, you know, honestly, guys, I'm in a fugue state when I record these things, so I honestly don't know what I said. But I hope that one, I made a point that sexual that uh, sexuality is a moving fucking target, that you come to it when you come to it. I am confused by <laughs> Tracy, but not confused in that I don't think it could happen, but confused in a can't relate kind of way. <laughs> um, and mostly for Tracy, like, yeah, that's totally possible. I think, like... I think most of the stories we hear about people coming out late in life, they always knew of different attractions, but maybe were just now coming to terms with it. And also 25 isn't late in life. Like, think about it, princess. If you, I call people who are like 24, 25 years old babies and 25 is perfectly reasonable to figure out what's going on. I do... <laughs> But what that person said, like said, really makes sense. And I'm glad that they commented that, that we have to be gentle with people who come to terms with themselves later in life because internalized homophobia, internalized biphobia, transphobia, like all those things are absolutely a thing. And then if you're within an environment that's like, that doesn't even seem like you have that option, you can like try to explain away feelings all kinds of ways. And it seems like Tracy was in that environment. Um, so yeah, we do need to be gentle and like not be like, what the fuck were you doing? So like, I'm glad they made that comment and, I'm, and I wanted to talk about it today. I also want to, like my most curious thing about Tracy is that I wanna know if she was dating during that time men if she was doing it on purpose or for her family, if she enjoyed it, or was it a, was it something that she felt an obligation to do? And does she consider, cause they only give her a few snippets on here. I mean, there's a ton of people on this fucking show and Tracy herself, I've heard her talk that about how her storyline was pretty much like eh, condensed and they just didn't give her a lot 
of nuance, you know? So her in particular, I want to know, does she consider herself bisexual or pansexual? Or if she was like dating men all during this time, having sexual experience with them, uh, like enjoying or not enjoying it, and then realized she was gay and that those, and that like she, she would not enjoy like being with a man again, or did she realize she was bisexual and that opened up to the possibility of being with women or has she not really thought about it? <laughs> I really do have a lot of questions about Tracy. Um, but yeah, thanks for the comment. I'm sorry. I can't say your stuff. Right. And thanks for pointing that out. That's something to like, dude, we come to it when we come to it, man. I also think like that probably puts a lot of people like, like think about it. If you don't come to your bisexuality till you're like, I'm, I'm spe specifically talking about bisexuality. I don't know if Tracy's bisexual, but I'm talking about like, I'm like thinking about in my own shoes and people in similar shoes. If you don't come to it till you're like in your late thirties or late forties or something. And after you've like been married and had a few kids and you realize that, you know, we're on a fucking a spectrum here and having like, and having same sex relationships are actually something that you'd be interested in. It's hard to talk about it when people are like, what do you mean? <laughs> You've been married for this long. You've been doing this and that. And I guess like, if you want people to feel like they have a, they have a, a place, then you really do have to be able, like, you know, try to be gentle with people. Mm. Anyway, so listen, we're going to, we're, it's on to the next episode. Uh, it's season one, episode two. It's called Game On. It premiered June 27th of 2020. Mm, not 20. I think it was 10. <laughs> I put 20 there. Um, they start off by asking, by doing the interviews that they, these are interviews they, they, they likely did with everyone after the fact of filming and they're all dressed up and everything. And it says, and they ask them what kind of lesbian they, what kind of lesbian they are. And Nikki says she's, she's probably categorized as a lipstick lesbian, but she's, she feels like she can get very butch at times. I don't see Nikki being very butch. I will say this, Nikki looks very soft this episode. Um, I'm feeling bad about calling her Skeletor, <laughs> but, the, but to be honest, the reason I call her Skeletor is not because I think something's wrong with her or something's wrong with her thinness at all. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't think it's fair for people to be like, you have an eating disorder because you're a very thin person. I think it is fair to remember that she's thin. She works hard to be thin. Like that, that's not an easy thing. That's not an easy thing to maintain. But the reason I call her that is because she reminds me of Leslie Bibb, actress. Um, and did you guys watch Popular? <laughs> it was a Ryan Murphy production back before Ryan Murphy was like, well, in my world before Ryan Murphy was like the production producer. It was, um, and God, it was such a good show. I think it only had like two seasons, maybe three. It was on the CW. And Leslie Bibb 
like they called her Skeletor sometimes in there. She was like a popular girl, blonde, perfect. And um, because she had high cheekbones and stuff. Anyway, <laughs> it was still rude, princess. Um, but she looks she looks incredible, a lot more softer this episode, by the way, which makes her like, I don't know. It just, her looking softer means, makes everything on her look a thousand percent more natural. Um, Rose says she's a Renaissance lesbian. I'm into that. She just said that she's like a new breed <laughs> and I would agree. She, Rose is, Rose breaks a lot of stereotypes. Um, I don't think you can fit Rose into too many boxes. I know I called her a finance bro, but, <laughs> but I don't think, I think a lot of people would be surprised by it, Rose. Um, Whitney says she's a hard femme or a soft stud which is, you know, familiar terminology. I think a lot of people use that. Tracy says she just doesn't know. And Jill says that she's new to all this, um, this terminology and everything. She just doesn't want to be labeled. That's fine. Um, so let's start with the boring couple. <laughs> They're actually not as boring as I remember them to be. Remember guys, I used to watch this. I used to watch these three seasons of The Real L Word over and over again until I had kids because I can't watch it because there's a lot of nudity and sex in it. So, <laughs> so I haven't watched it in a while. And I always remember Nikki and Jill to be super boring, but they got a little bit of something this this week. Um, but first off, they start off, they have a dog named Zach who, when he wants to go, when he thinks you're going bye-bye and he wants to go bye-bye with you, brings out his, his little bag. That is so fucking cute. My dog used to... I just used to move a lot with her. I just like move across country on a fucking whim. And if I started packing up the house, she would go out and lay next to my car. <laughs> She'd be like, bitch, you gotta take me. Um, so they give us more background on Nikki and Jill. Nikki is an agent and a producer. Um, Jill is a writer. They work together. Um, they option a book called Sexual Fluidity fluidity and they meet and they meet with the writer to talk about it. Um, Jill has a special connection to the book cause she used it to talk with her parents about because Jill. So Jill also mostly dated men and although she dated women before she met Nikki, it wasn't, she wasn't like honest about it or I don't want to say honest because like, not telling somebody your business is not, not honest. Like not everything is, is everybody's business. You know, like if I were living away from my parents, like, okay. So if I live in the same like area as my parents and I go over there every day and they ask me what I've been doing and I'm like, Oh, I've got a date with Bill with Johnny. And then I'm like, I've got a date with Nikki. Like, like if you give them all the information all the time, I can understand how someone would be like, well, you never told us about Nikki. But I don't think of Jill, I don't think that's Jill's case. I think like you don't tell your parents about every little date you have or every person that you see or every person you fuck, you don't do that. So if I don't feel like telling you, if I'm not, like it's none of your business. I never brought anybody home, ever. Like every now and then my parents would see me someplace with a dude. Um, I don't think they ever saw me with a girl. 
But every now and then they seem to be like, who is that? And I'd be like, oh, that's uh, some some dude. <laughs> I would never, I never brought anybody home. So if I were, yeah, I don't think Jill was like not being honest. I don't know if they used the word honest in the, in the show, but they shouldn't have because what they meant is that she just wasn't like open to telling everybody about it. And in her case, I think they're implying that while if she was with a man, she'd be very open. But if she's with a woman, she wasn't, she was, she would keep it under wraps. That's what I think they're saying. Um, and so when she started dating Nikki, everyone was very surprised because she, you know, I guess their relationship progressed very quickly. They're in love. I mean, obviously you want to talk about it if it's super serious. So, um, so Jill is somebody, this is something I, I wanted to talk about. Jill does not consider herself bisexual because bisexual implies that you are attracted to two genders. Okay. That's, but Jill considers herself, I guess she doesn't say this, but I guess she would, she would consider herself more pansexual, meaning she's just, she's not attracted to genders. She's attracted to people and of, and also it pushes away from the idea of two genders, which, you know, I agree with, but bisexual is an old term. And I guess that I'm just so used to saying it now. And also don't let me put that on Jill because she didn't say that, but she just felt like she said, she says she's a hundred percent comfortable saying she's in love with Nikki and that she's like, once they're going to be together, yada, yada, yada. She is about 60% saying she's openly gay, but the, the term doesn't fit for her. So I'm only bringing up the term pansexual because maybe if this had been filmed five years later, that's what Jill, that's a term Jill would use, but she didn't use it. She just, to be frank, she just doesn't want to use labels. And I think that's fine. If she doesn't want to use labels and don't fucking use labels. Um, so Nikki has dated men in the past and her first, um, female sexual, um, attraction was a roommate in college. And she was about 25 when she decided to like, to act on it, even though she had the feelings, she just didn't quite know what it meant. And when she said she doesn't know what it meant to be gay, what it knows what it means to have an attraction to that roommate. Don't take her literally. Okay. Because obviously Nikki's like a very intelligent woman. She had access to the internet. <laughs> she knows what it means to be gay, but she's what she's saying. She doesn't know what she means to be gay in her life. Like what that would look like on her. Um, especially when you identify as something for so long and then certain suddenly be like, well, maybe I'm this, you know? So, But even with Nikki, it's not that Nikki didn't realize she had feelings for women. It's that Nikki at 25 realized she wanted to act on those feelings, which is different than what I understand Tracy's story to be. Again, I love, I, I love to get like a video of Tracy just talking about like her journey and not that it's like any of my business, but I mean, none of this is any of my fucking business. I'm watching a reality TV show, but 
it's it sounds to me to trait that Tracy had never even considered she could have feelings for a woman until she went to Magic Mountain. I keep harping on Magic Mountain because I just wonder how many people realized they were gay at Magic Mountain. And probably a real a lot. And so <laughs> Disney gays are a real thing. So um and I wonder how, like I said, I wonder how Tracy identifies now. I also wonder how Jill identifies now, what Jill would say. I bet, I mean, it's, I think it'd be a toss up. Jill's still with Nikki. And I think she could either say, yeah, you know, now I feel more comfortable as identifying as completely gay. Um, or she could say, no, I've, no, I found a new, a new term I'd like to use, pansexual, because it's more in line of what, how I feel. Or she could say, listen, uh, don't, still don't put me in a box. I don't want, I don't want any labels. I don't know. I respect the fact that she doesn't want any labels. I feel more comfortable with labels. I like things to be sad. <laughs> like, I like a good label. I like, so I like a box. I like it to have all I like it to have a bunch of sides. I was going to say four sides, but that's not really a box. Well, it's a box if it's 2D. Okay, well, I like a box. And I like to have all the sides, and I like to be in the box. That's what I like. I like to know what's going on. I like everything plotted out. That's what I prefer. Um, I realize not everybody's me. So it's okay if she doesn't want to. Um, oh, so Nikki dated men, but she doesn't think she could date men again. She feels like she identifies as gay. She feels very comfortable identifying as gay. And like I said, Jill's just not yet any. And um, I feel like Nikki said Jill is insecure about that. And I don't know. I mean, did she say that? Maybe, maybe that might've been something where I needed closed captioning. Maybe she didn't say the word insecure, but if she did, I don't know that Jill doesn't have, I don't know that I've described as insecure. I think Jill's very secure in her relationship with Nikki. They seem like the type of people that are like, we're going to be together forever. And I think they're still together. So psh, let them have it. And, and I don't think not wanting to be called queer or gay. She didn't say queer. I said queer. Not wanting to be set, not wanting to be labeled as, as just gay or just bisexual or any of that makes her insecure. I think that she's just like figuring out what feels good to her, what fits with her. It took a long time for me to describe myself as queer because it's not the way I didn't feel like other people who describe themselves as queer. I didn't feel like I fit in with them. And so I don't know. I, I, it took me a long time to like, I don't even want to say accept that word because it wasn't that I wasn't accepting. It was more like, I was like, well, does that really apply to me though? You know, like, and it, and it did have a lot to do with like the way I walk in the world. Like I said before, um, last week, uh, in real life, I do not talk a lot about being, about being bisexual because I have been in a monogamous relationship with a man for a really long time and I do not have to I don't, I, it's like being a, a black person that can pass for white. I, a lot of things are skipped over me because people assume that I'm in a heteronormative relationship. They assume that they instantly recognize my marriage. They instantly recognize my family. 
I don't have to explain anything because I just so happen to end up with a man. And calling myself queer seemed like, seemed almost disrespectful to people who had reclaimed that word and, and were using it for themselves. It's, it's like, like I said, a good example is about being like, um, biracial or very light skinned black and not always identifying with the blackness that is presented as universal because it doesn't include your experiences. Um, yeah. So, um, Jill has, <laughs> Jill has a best friend, Derek from San Francisco where Jill was living and he's one of the first friends he met there. And there was some attraction between them. Um, apparently they were friends for seven years and there was a will they, won't they kind of thing going on with them. He's coming down to visit them and he hasn't, he's thinking about, um, he's got a, maybe got a job or opportunity in LA. So he's thinking about moving to LA, but also he, um, you know, he hasn't really been around since she got engaged to Nick. And part of that, Nick, Nick, Nikki says that part of that is because even though they're such good friends and they're, they're like so connected, he wished their relationship was something different. And her getting engaged to Nikki is like closing a door on that. Both figuratively and literally. <laughs> so, um, they go and pick him up and I mean, Jill is so in love with this dude. And I don't, I'm not saying that to say that she's not in love with Nikki and she shouldn't get married to Nikki. No, she's in love with Nikki, but she has a very special connection with him. You can see it like as they're driving away. So this is, I mean, it's not before GoPros, is it? You know how there was a shift in reality TV. Like if you watch early episodes of the real world, when they're in a car, the, cameraman is in the passenger seat of the car and that's why or some old episodes of true life that's why when they're driving around it's one person in the driver's side and one person in the back seat and when you think about it you're like why the fuck are they sitting in the back seat well because there's a cameraman in the front passenger seat videoing um so that's what's going on here so Derek's in the back Nikki's in the back and Jill is driving I don't know why <laughs> I uh, let Nikki drive <laughs> and, let, and that's your friend. You sit in the back seat with him, but Jill is driving and holding hands with Derek through the back seat. Like she's, when they stop, Nikki's across the street. I guess they're going into someplace. Nikki and Derek is, is, is hugging. They're holding each other and hugging each other and talking about how great it would be if he moved to LA. She has a very strong connection with him. Um, and I guess like, I guess that is what I mean by like, they're a little bit more interesting than I remember. I've always thought of them as the like most boring lesbians on earth. And I've, I've known a lot of lesbian couples a lot and they're literally the most boring ones I've ever seen. Um, but this edition of Derek, I forgot all about Derek. 
And I, I will say this. I think Nikki's like being an awesome person because I don't know how open I'd be about that. Like I, so you got this best friend who also has more than best friends feelings for you. And you have more than best friend, best friend feelings for him too. In fact, I would be upset if my husband had a friend like that, that he was just like all in on and, and had lovey dovey feelings for, and I'm supposed to incorporate this person into our lives. Um, especially like, so when Nikki says that, you know, the engagement was hard for, um, for, uh, him because it closed the door on some things that would have been a problem for me. Like if you guys are truly just friends and just feeling it that way, then the engagement shouldn't be hard on them because that door has already been closed. That would have been, that would have been hard on me. So I want to give kudos to Nick for that, but I'm also like, girl, <laughs> couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Um, let's move on to Mikey. Um, we get a little more background on Mikey too. Mikey was born and raised in LA in the Culver City Projects. And she got in a fashion accidentally. She wears t-shirt and jeans every day. Like she did not grow up and want to be in fashion. Um, apparently IMG stopped producing LA Fashion Week and Mikey's company has stepped up because it, she, to position Mikey as a leader in the a local a leader in fashion and also like, I mean, just raise her profile. But this is the biggest production she's ever done. And she hasn't ever done it before. That's the other thing. She hasn't done it before. Um, so they're looking for event space and figuring out the logistics of it all. Uh, it does not make me miss events <laughs> in any way. Uh, she, um, during lunch with the company, by the way, that Anna girl that messed up last week, she's her intern, which makes a lot more fucking sense. The intern did it. But if I had a company like that, the intern would not be allowed to make phone calls. <laughs> anyway, and the, again, the, another way she reminds me of Kelly fucking control. Your interns are pulling you down. <laughs> um, so having lunch and with all the interns and everything and uh, with the intern and the assistant and Raquel calls. Um, and calls and then Mikey puts it on speaker, which I'm hoping production told her to do because if you are having lunch and you're the boss and you just put your fucking phone calls on speaker it is so dramatic and so like awkward for people. Nobody wants to hear your phone call. And so I just hope this is a reality TV thing. And Raquel's like basically talking baby talk. And the two of them, uh, are talking about the fact that later on that night, Mikey's getting a plaque from the chamber of commerce. Now, <laughs> at first, <laughs> I was like, Mikey's getting a plaque from the Chamber of Commerce? <laughs> for what? Like, like, what cool thing did Mikey do? And then I realized that Mikey's getting a plaque for joining the Chamber of Commerce. They're just new members after you pay your fee. And I'm sure in LA, the Chamber fee is huge. Um, as opposed to many other places I've lived. I have worked through the Chamber of Commerce when I was an insurance agent to get leads. I have worked through it as a 
as a content marketer, um, to get leads on writing jobs. I am very familiar with the Chamber of Commerce. So, so the fact that Mikey is so excited about the Chamber of Commerce makes me laugh. I mean, I realize it's LA's. Is didn't didn't um didn't Kyle have something to do with the com the Chamber of Commerce? But it wasn't LA. Was it Beverly Hills? I don't know. <laughs> but, it's such like a dry ass fucking place to be. <laughs> I realize LA is going to be a little different, but anyway, she, she's excited. She's getting, she wants to network with these people. She wants to have more, um, business contacts. Uh, she, it's going to be necessary for producing events like fashion week and stuff. And with, um, so she wants to make a good showing down there. She wants to get her plaque and, you know, you know, you know, just look good down there. So Raquel's going to come. Raquel's going to leave at like 845. Um, and Raquel misses it. <laughs> that's that's the, the long and short Raquel misses it. And you can see that Mikey is a ham. The way Mikey talks, the way Mikey's always talking about pulling her dick out. <laughs> the way, even with these dry ass people with the chamber, um, who I'm sure, like I said, it's an LA chamber of commerce. I'm sure Mikey's not the first blonde tattooed lesbian they've met. Okay. <laughs> but you can, you can see that she's comfortable. Um, she's outgoing and I like that about her because remember when we were first introduced to her, she's kind of being a dick on the phone to models and shit. Um, but Raquel shows up late. And they miss it, but Mikey's happy to see her. And then later, Mikey's doing a shoot, and she's telling us that because she and Raquel work so much, that really she had to hire her to do hair and makeup for Fashion Week to make it to, to even see her a bit. And I do not miss living this lifestyle where, where you not only have to have a job, you have to be the job. Like the job, not only do you have to work the job, then you have to go out at night to represent the job, to network for the job, to, and you're working all these long hours. You do not have a life. It is one of the reasons I left New York. I've talked about this all the time is that I just thought to myself, do I want to support a lifestyle that I want to spend all this money to live. And I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to. I thought about what I wanted. I wanted parking lots in Olive Garden. And that's why I left. I, that's what I wanted to do. And, but mostly I did not want to live a life where if I could not work 16 hour days, I was fucked. Like as soon as I broke my leg and was out of work for, and couldn't, and couldn't go to work for two and a half weeks, I was evicted and I couldn't eat. I didn't want to live like that. It seemed like, it seemed precarious. Um, not that I'm saying that Mikey and Raquel are there. I'm saying that like, they live a life in which they have, they have, they're working all the fucking time and they don't really see each other and it must be fucking hard. They have to work together. But also the dynamics of having to work together are crazy. Now, during the shoot, Mikey gets a call saying the stage that she wants for fashion week can't she can't have it some other thing is you needs to needs that 
area for her. And she they have to figure out a plan B because the deal is she's told everyone where it's going to be. Now, do I understand why? Because she says she's been working this like a year and a half. Okay, since IMG decided they weren't going to do any more fashion weeks. They weren't going to produce any more fashion weeks. Do I understand why Mikey has has sent out has started press for an event without having secured the venue. I don't. There is a little scene with her talking about securing that area and and that um, soundstage or whatever. There is a little talk like a little scene like that, but it doesn't seem like she's there too late. It doesn't seem it seemed like everything was in order. So I don't understand how it's not booked. I've also been in positions where I've double booked shit. I used, I double booked a wedding once. <sighs> Those people were awesome. Well, there were two couples. One was this lesbian couple and the other was this uh, kind of nerdy tech couple. <laughs> The lesbians were mad, okay? <laughs> they were pissed. <laughs> but the little nerdy tech couple were like, okay, we'll move it. <laughs> they were like, yeah, it's fine. We don't care. And <laughs> the lesbian couple was like, why are you ruining our days? <laughs> and I was like, oh. I felt bad. I felt fucking terrible about it. They deserved to yell at me. And they weren't really yelling at me. They were just very emotional, which they deserve to be. They, they fucking deserve to be. <laughs> but, woo, woo, child. Anyway, <laughs> but so it's possible the event space double booked or the way they said it sounded like they had booked it to Mikey, but someone else had already called it like, Someone else had booked another soundstage. And maybe soundstage isn't the right word for it. I can't remember the way they, they're, they, they, they're saying. Someone had booked another area in the in the space. Yeah, sorry. Someone had booked another area in the space. And that they had also been promised Mikey's area to do setup or something. It seemed weird. But again... If I have a contract with you that says I can have the space, I'm gonna have the space. Like, I would've just been like, I'm gonna do it. And I'm, I'm gonna be there, so you better tell them to get their shit somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that so that basically ruins Mikey's life. Worst phone call she could get. So that's where we end with Mikey this, this week. Um, let's talk about Tracy. I like Tracy and Stamey a lot. Um, I find myself very attracted to Stamey, which is weird because I don't do white women. <laughs> and if I was, it was gonna be like a spicy white woman, like, you know, a John B type. Y'all know who the fuck John B is? Look it up. <laughs> John B can get it. And so, John B was Robin Thicke before Robin Thicke was Robin Thicke, but Robin Thicke in a very different way. Like John B got his hair cut at a black barbershop. 
And also, as far as I know, John B. wasn't like coked out and crazy all the time and doing just really inappropriate fucking things. <laughs> anyway, I I really like Tracy and Stamey. I do. And I'm really excited that this this week that we found out that they did not just meet four months ago and she was just like, come on in and be a mom, a third mom to my kids. That they met through mutual friends, which makes sense, right? They met through mutual friends and she uh, Tracy went to Stamey's comedy show and they just hung out for a while until Stamey told her she thought she had a crush on her. That makes so much more sense because it means that Stacy, because it means that like Tracy was just around, you know, and that's why Tracy's around. That's why Tracy's around her kids at four months because she'd already been around as a friend. So it makes so much more sense. And I'm so happy, much happy about that because I feel like Stacy, Stacy, God, I keep putting their names together. Tra- Tracy and Stamey are a bit of grounding for this show. Um, I know that some people think Jill and Nikki are, but I can't relate to Jill and Nikki. They are, they're too far, they're too far outside of my experience for me to relate to them. But Tracy and Stamey, I can definitely relate to them. They seem down to earth. They seem like they care about each other. They, they both seem like genuinely good people. They do not seem like, neither one of them seems like an asshole and not saying that Jill and Nikki do, but I'm just saying like, I, like these are my people. Um, oh, so the kids, Jagger's five and then the twins are two and a half. So they are little kids and the twins names are Nico and Daughtry. I'm not going to talk about the baby's names. (laughs) Jagger has Williamson disease, which is, they just explain it as a disease that can cause some developmental delays and he has special needs. I don't know, is special needs out of fashion? Uh, I feel like I've stopped saying that, but let me know. Like, is there a better term for that now? Um, I do think, okay, so you, you always try, now you all, now (laughs) the better way to say things is to say people first right so you say someone who uses a wheelchair as opposed to a wheelchair user you're supposed to say so even if we did people first we would say jagger has special needs not is special needs we at least that's my understanding of if you guys know a better way to say that let me know you can always email me at hello at buypumpkinpodcast.com um, so I know a better way to talk about this. Uh, I saw some, <laughs> I looked up Stamey and Stamey's Instagram and yes, she and Tracy are still together. They've been together 11 years, apparently. Um, so cute. And there are lots of like videos of Jagger and stuff. Um, and even of the, of the twins too, but mostly of Jagger because I think Jagger's still close to home. Um, well, I mean, they're all still fucking close to home. It was 11 years ago. Jagger's probably like 16 or 17 years old, maybe. Um, So, oh, Stamey's Greek. That's another thing. Stamey's very Greek. 
And that makes more sense because I, I was like, what is Thamie short for? And I think I'm going to I'm going to fucking butcher it. So I'm not going to. But her name is Greek. OK, so we just get some scenes of them playing around um, with the kids. And I mean, basically, Stamey's like, you know, this is a big difference for Tracy to step into my life like this, to be to have kids be a part of her every day. I mean, before she met me, she was she was in charge of herself and her dog. And I have this whole little life going on and she kind of has to come to me. Like they don't go hang out at Tracy's house because Tracy's house isn't prepped for three children. You know what I mean? And I guess it's a big it's a big concern of the relationship. They just started dating. Um they go play in the playroom, it looks like. And I'm really jealous. I really want a fucking playroom. I wish I had. Like, that's the only thing. My house is not small, okay? My house is huge compared to where I've ever lived before. But there are so many more kids here now. So what I wish we had is another bathroom. But like I've spoken about, because my house is a ranch, I think it is. I'm not sure. It's a ranch, I think. Because it's a ranch, the way it's set up, even though I have four bedrooms it only makes sense to have two bathrooms. And if I had two and a half bathrooms or even three bathrooms, no, if I had three bathrooms, it'd be great. If I even had two and a half bathrooms, it would change a lot of things here. But I don't, and it doesn't make, and there's no way to add one to this house that would make sense. Um, and the other thing I really, really wish I had was a fucking playroom, a place where all the toys could go, where all the kids could play, um, where they could watch TV, all that shit. Now, most of the time my kids are all around me. Um, I was actually, I got up this morning. Um, I didn't get up. They came to me because that's how it works. And I have, um, <laughs> and my husband was at work because he works throughout the night right now, although he's moving the day shift, so that means our marriage is probably going to end. And so, but... I woke up and I just had a bunch of fucking kids in my bed. I had five kids in my bed and they're, they've got their tablets and their blankets and their, they brought their toys and my TV is on and I'm just laying there thinking about when I'm going to get up and make pancakes. And I was like, oh, this is probably overwhelming for some people, but it's not overwhelming for me because it's my life. And in a lot of ways, I stay, it's going to be the same for Stamey as well, especially Especially because Stamey, you know, those are her, she didn't like, so my kids are foster and adoptive kids. So I got them at certain ages. That's not what happened with Stamey. Stay, it's like she's been there. She's, she's their mother. She's been there for the birth of all of them. Well, you know, Jagger's not, she's not the birth mother of Jagger, but she, I mean, she's his mother. She's been there since the second he was born. And so what people don't realize they think children show up as like four-year-olds or even 10-year-olds scream like that want things that have a bad attitude you know what i'm saying they think that's how you get them that's not how you get them what you get is a little fucking ball of dough and yes babies screaming babies crying babies piss on the on you and themselves but i think people often underestimate how easy it is to take care of a baby. Babies are almost easy. And I, I, I know that people listening to this are, that are shocked by me saying that. But what I mean though, is that 
they aren't mobile. They just need a few things. I mean, the baby industrial complex wants to sell you a lot of things. And a lot of those things are helpful. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to it, you need diapers, things that are clean and warm to put them in, and food. And everything else is gettable later. <laughs> you, can, you can work it out. And so, and babies eat and sleep. They don't go anywhere. They don't talk shit to you. They don't demand that you turn the TV to PJ mask. They like, it's, it's not that it's easy. It's that there's only a few functions that you need to complete. Okay. And when they're upset and they're crying and stuff for the most part, <clears throat> there's like three things that they might need. And if you can do the three things, or four, you know, it can vary. If you can do the four things, you can get them to quiet down. That's it. Now, do they need absolute all the way attention all the fucking time? Yeah. A lot of you can't you can't leave them anywhere. They can't do anything for themselves. So so that makes them so like my ten year old, actually all my three oldest, my ten, nine, and seven year old, are learning to make lunches and breakfasts and not. Not outland. They're not making fucking waffles and shit. But they're like, I have taught them, like what it go, what goes into make to getting breakfast for everyone. Putting out five bowls, pouring cereal in the five bowls, pouring milk in the five bowls, making sure everybody has a napkin and a spoon. How to make a peanut butter and jelly lunch. We're gonna move on to some other types of lunches, but they are taking turns doing that. So I'm not making breakfast and lunch anymore. I'm just assigning it to someone. And then, like, if they need help, they call me. But, you know, cereal's not a big deal. But, so that that's great. They're super helpful. I'm teaching them how to go get the mail because the way our development is set up, our mailboxes are, like, ways down. So, like, being like, this is the key. You go to this box. We're number 16 on the box. <laughs> Turn it this way. <laughs> like, and, and now I can just be like, go get the mail. And they'll go get the mail. Yeah, they're super helpful at this at, at certain ages because they're getting older. You do miss out on the babies. But other than that, babies can be incredibly focused. Like I said, I know there are a lot of people screaming, like, babies are not easy. Nothing's easy. But there's something to be said for a fucking baby. And so when you get these babies, they're little balls of dough with, like, three or four things that they need. And everybody acknowledges that you're new on the job. So, cause it's a brand new fucking baby. How could you not be new on the job? So, so people give you lots of instruction. The doctor says, um, you've come for your whatever checkup. I think it's one week. Is it one week? Might be two weeks, but you get a checkup really soon after the baby's born and they check all the shit and you tell them all your fears and all and what's going on. Should she be doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And they say, yep, that's normal. That's normal. That'll go away. Blah, blah, blah. We'll see you in a month. Like, <laughs> and, and so you've got this, you kind of get into this fucking rhythm and instead of things coming at you all at once, they pop up. Okay, the baby's teething. Okay, the baby's walking. Okay, it's time to put the baby in preschool. Like these are obstacles that come at you that you're that everyone else in the same age range are pretty much going through too. So they come and you deal with them as they come. 
the difference between so Stamie's been on this ride and she's got and then she's and then she got the twins which are you know twins are different than a single but still she's got a little more experience now of and she, and a partner with experience too that's like okay well you know um, they roll over around this age so we do really need to be careful because they you know they 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 stay stable here but then you know then you look up one day and they've rolled off the couch and down the and down the hallway. So, but the difference is that Tracy is showing up to a machine already in motion. Things are already happening. She didn't get on the job training. It was more like, it, well, excuse me. She didn't get to start slow and get on the job training. It's more like this train's already running, bitch. Hop on. And that's the overwhelming part of it. Um, a lot of times when people are asking me about my kids and about my lifestyle, I'm like, I'm trying to explain to them that the things they think are hard are not hard. It's not, it's not difficult for me to be where I need to be for the kids because when I had the kids, I was good and fucking grown. I was 37 years old when I adopted my older boys. It's good and fucking grown. Tracy's talking about like, she, she's used to like working a lot of hours and then going out two or three nights a week, staying out to two or three in the morning, getting up at 6.15. That was already gone for me because I'm a little old lady. I've been a little old lady since I was seven years old. So it was already gone. And so it wasn't like, oh no, I'm gonna have to get up at 6 a.m. It was more like, well, I usually get up at five and I guess the kids will be up in an hour. That's more like what I was at going on. And there was like a lot of stuff, like, especially for those boys. I mean, I'd done kinship adoption. I mean, I'd done kinship foster care previously. I'd done a little bit of respite. I'd done some things where I was volunteering at a, um, at a shelter that was for expectant and uh, just given birth mothers from the, that had been living on the streets. And so I was doing like some house mothering for that. I mean, just various things that I sometimes had to do. Um, I had, I mean, I just had experience with, I was been working in shelters um, and doing things with displaced children. So I had some experience, okay? But when I got my older sons, they were five and six years old and they just gotten out of school. They were both graduating from kindergarten. They were in the same grade. Um, and it was more like, okay, so it's summer. Where do kids go in the summer? Who watches them in the summer? And that's when I got introduced to the YMCA. And uh, also in Austin, there's a parks program where it's free. You just drop your kids off <laughs> at a fucking park and the parks department will run like a summer camp. It's outside, okay? So, I mean, they do have like, they're in the parks department. So they have splash pads and they have um, coverings and shed and they do go to the pools and stuff like that. But it is outside, but it's free. And you can just like, it's walk up. You just drop your kids off and they feed them <laughs> breakfast and lunch. And you can leave them there for like five hours and it doesn't cost you shit. Um, but like I said, also the YMCA, also like, like figuring those things out was hard because it wasn't like I had some babies and, and I was already figuring out childcare and there was like 
like little arrows that go, okay, once you're done with uh, infant care, you go here. Like, I didn't have that. I had to be like, okay, so where the fuck the kids go? And I think one thing that Tracy has over even me in that circumstance, because I had like caseworkers that were like, you have to do this. This is a thing. I had a caseworker. So the first time I had like, I had to go to my school orientation, like for putting kids in school, my caseworker drove up from fucking Colleen, which if you don't know, it's about fucking 45 minutes from Austin, drove to, drove to Austin and attended with me and like went from classroom to classroom and told me and was like, ask this question. Okay, you wanna, you wanna pay attention to that. You wanna do this. She, my youngest, he was six, no? Yeah, he was six going into school, um, going into the first grade for the first time because he did it twice. Um, partially so that he wouldn't be in the same grade with his brother and also because he's, he's like immature for his age. So um, they, like she was like, okay, so when we get in here, you're going and he's gonna, they're gonna tell him to choose his seat, but you're not gonna let him choose his seat. She's like, remember, because at the time he had been like having issues at school uh, the previous year, cause she was his caseworker the previous year before I got him. And she was like, you know, he's left school before. Um, we found him walking down the highway. Like it's important that he be close to the teacher because the teacher has got to be able to have eyes on him. And the closer he is to the teacher, the less likely he will, you know, will have issues. So like I have this woman holding my hand being like, when we go in here, we're going to put his stuff right here at the beginning, right next to the teacher. Cause that's where he needs to be. I had someone giving me that, um, which is great. But the thing that Tracy has that even I didn't have was that Stamie's already got this going. Stamie's got a routine going with her ex and her, and the co-parenting and all that shit. And all Tracy has to do is come find her place in it. Now that's hard, but it's different than if they dropped these three kids off on her and, and rolled out. Um, they go play basketball. And like I said, we get the story of them meeting up and they're, they go to the Abbey for brunch um, and they see Whitney. And Stamie said something really funny because <laughs> they're there with Tracy's friends who all love Stamie. And some of those friends have been together for 11 years, which is, which is interesting because uh, right after that, I looked it up and Tracy and um, Stamie had been together for 11 years, but that's cute. So um, they've, and Tracy's like, do you see any of your friends here? <laughs> Stamie's like, no, my friends are old. They're dead. <laughs> and when she meant, and she clarified what she meant, is that they don't go out anymore. Like, no, all her kids, all her friends have young kids like that probably, or a little older and don't, like it's unnecessary to go out for brunch on a Sunday morning. And not that I don't go to brunch. I mean, I did go to brunch before the pandemic sometimes because Sundays are often my days off, but um, at this house, like where I do not have to think about anybody at this house at all. But yeah, I can see why, yeah, I can see why all the, all of Stamie's friends. I also don't think Stamie lives that close <laughs> to there. I bet you. Like, does this thing we live out? Where does thing we live? I've forgotten. Um, 
At 6.17 a.m., Tracy is woken up by Nico, one of the twins, looking for the dog. The dog is underneath uh, Tracy's legs. And Tracy's like, where did mama go? And Nico said, she's in bed with Jagger. <laughs> it's cute. Um, but it was also my worst nightmare. Not the kids waking up. Like I said, the kids wake me up all the time. I have an alarm on my toddler's door. I now have a newly five-year-old and I have a three-year-old. It'll be four soon, but not soon enough because he cries every time. <sighs> every time I tell him it's not his birthday as he's preparing for his birthday. Um, but I have an alarm on their door because they get out. Sometimes they open their door and wander the house and do things like find leftovers from the night before, eat food out of the trash. Uh, they had a cake heist one day. Um, you know, just whatever the fuck they want to do. And so there's an alarm on their door. So, so at night, last thing I do before I go to bed is I go and give everybody a second kiss. Good night. Are they awake? No, but somehow they know if I didn't do it. And so <laughs> I give everybody a second kiss. I check the doors. I put on the alarm. I take the toddlers or anybody else that needs it. I wake them up and make them go to the bathroom. You know, it's a, it's a toss about who's peeing in the bed these days. And so um, and then the very last thing I do is I close the door to the toddler's room so that the door alarm initiates. And it's just, it's something off of Amazon. It's cheap. It's just got a piece that you put on their door. And then in my room, you plug in a, a, a doorbell. So it's like, it, people use it in like shops and shit. Like, so that if you're in the back doing inventory and somebody walks in the door, a doorbell goes off so you can know that someone's up front. This is basically what it is. So it's plugged in by my bed. And when they wake up in the morning, in my room goes ding dong. And I'm a light sleeper. So that usually wakes me. I know that they're up and about. And I just say, I yelled out my door because my bedroom's away from all the children's bedrooms. And I go, I hear you. Come here. And then they walk into my room. So otherwise, they would, they, I mean, they, they might open the door and leave the house. It's possible. They used to do it at their Ryan mom's house. So they go in other people's room. They get in the bed with them and wake them up. <laughs> they do all kinds of shit unless I have that alarm on the door. So them come, the 6.17 in the morning is not a big deal because that is about the time uh, they get up. But there's a dog underneath her. She looks, she looks like she went to bed 10 minutes ago. And then also I want to know about the camera situation. I want to know how is the cameraman in the house at 6, 17 in the morning. I want to know, right? So what did I talk about? Fake wake up scenes. Last week I told you that's not my zhuzh because I don't, um, I don't like to wake up. I don't like people filming while I'm sleeping. I don't like people in my bedroom. So <laughs> my, my kids are fine. I'm talking about strangers. Even when the exterminator comes and sprays the whole house, like I feel uncomfortable when he walks into my bedroom. I just don't like it. I don't, I'm not into that. So I'm trying to understand who opened the front door for the cameraman to get in at 6, 17 in the morning. Was it Nico? <laughs> or this is what I think it actually happened. I think, I think Stamie was awake. I think Stamey opened the door for production, the camera people. And then they said, where is, um, where's Tracy? And Stamey goes, did she still asleep? And they send Nico in there to wake her up? That's what I think happened. 
Otherwise, it doesn't make any fucking sense. And truthfully, Stamie looks road hard and put away wet too. She's got one sock on. <laughs> My husband wakes up with one sock on all the time. I don't wear socks to bed. And I'm telling you right now, if you see me standing somewhere and I got one sock on, some shit has gone down. <laughs> I would never. I just, if I'm going to take off one sock, I take off the other one too. Why is there only one sock? <laughs> That's it for Tracy and Stamie. Um, let's talk about Rose. Rose, someone said she looks like Ava Menendez. Is that how I say it? Menendez? And they're right. She does like, is it Eva Menendez? I don't know. She doesn't like that chick. She looks so much like her with the moles and everything. She's like, I mean, she's a smoke show. She's very like, she looks sexy. Like That's not like I find her sexy. She looks like a sexy person, like a Sophia Loren, like, um, Selma Hayek looks sexy. Like even, um, What's the one who plays up her accent? It's basically doing brown face. What's her name? <laughs> she's not doing brown face. <laughs> she's, she is brown. But what's her name? She's on, uh, she was on Modern Family. She was getting, um, she was, uh, she had some, some eggs frozen. Now her ex wants to force her to have the baby, but she won't, uh, she won't get rid of them. Uh, what is this woman's name? Sophia Vergara. <laughs> yeah, she. And it's interesting. I just named a bunch of Latinx women, but there is a sexiness about her, a sensualness about her that, I mean, she could be taking out trash and she's a, she's a sexy person. Uh, and she right, they're right. She doesn't like her. Um, her and Rose are seven, are celebrating seven months. Um, and that's mostly for Natalie. Natalie likes to celebrate every month, and she says it because they don't know if they're gonna make it to the next month. <laughs> Which okay. <laughs> Rose says in her talking head, which makes me think they filmed it afterwards because they end up breaking up. A, spoiler alert: they end up breaking up at the end of this fucking season. But she says. For now, she's the she's the right she's the one right now. She's the one I've committed to and giving it a shot. Does that sound like somebody in love? No, right? She sounds very ambivalent there. Um, or maybe it happened after one of their fights. They did this, and then she was like, "Yeah, for now." <laughs> um, Natalie dated a girl for two years, and it ended up really badly. And she said she was never going to date women again. Um, Sure, that happens all the time. They, it usually happens the other way, where somebody comes out of a relationship with a man and say, I'm never doing that shit again. I'm going to women. Um, that's what they say. But uh, dating Rose is a big leap for her. She says that she thinks Rose is changing, and she sees, she says she sees a pattern with the drinking and the partying with Rose, and Rose tells her that she's only got one more year left of partying. Um Okay, sure. Believe that, Natalie. Rose and Natalie have great sex, and that's what keeps them there. Rose says, and we get candlelit pre-sex of them. I mean, it's 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 tame compared to the things that we see with some of the other with with, and especially in second season with um, Romy and that Ichabod Crane woman that she dated for a while. 
I know her name's not Michelle. <laughs> well, it should have been. Um, yeah, so it's pretty tame, but it's just like a lot of candlelight shit and, and, you know, lots of kissing and what I want to do to you type things. And yeah, um, Later, Rose's dad comes over to tell her to lay off the liquor. <laughs> I know it's not unusual for a parent to be like, uh, you should stop drinking so much or whatever. I know that's not unusual. I just find it. <laughs> I'm just imagining one of my parents coming over to my partner and being like, you need to stop drinking. <laughs> it seemed, that would seem like a serious thing to me. Um, Rose says that she's gone down from two nights a week, from five nights a week down to two nights a week. She's really, and she's, she's really cut back and he urges her to get serious with Natalie. I want to say that Rose's house, I, I know I called her finance bro and she's, she just seems like the type of person that's like throwing up bottles in a club and shit and bragging about she made this on that deal. Rose's apartment is so sad. That couch she has, I had that couch. I was extremely poor when I got that couch, Rose. That is a cheap-ass couch. That couch is so fucked up. Um, the, the rug on her floor comes from the place next to the dollar store. Like, it is, like, as a poor person myself, Rose's furniture is poor people furniture. Her bed barely has a fitted sheet on it. It certainly doesn't have a... Um, a, a dust ruffle on it. They don't have, they don't have nightstands. They just have a tall floor lamp next to their bed. At the end of their bed, it looks like a, a glass bar. Like somebody gave them a glass bar and they're like, let's just sit at the end of the bed. It is, it does not look like two women live there. And I know that's a stereotype, but like I always say, stereo, like I said last week, stereotypes are rooted in truth. And this is like the house of a boy you go over right out of college. They don't have toilet paper. One of the couch cushions is missing. <laughs> it's like, that's what it looks like. And it's so interesting because I'm like... Like I said, Rose zigzag when I think she's going to zag. If I had met Rose looking the way she does, I would have, even knowing that she was a lesbian, that she dated women or whatever. I, even knowing that, I would have some assumptions about Rose. And this apartment does not fit the assumptions in any way. It just, it seems very college bro after... You just left the frat house and had to get a place. Like It seems weird. Or maybe not even weird. It seems sad. And it seems like it doesn't go with the image that we get of Rose. Especially later in the season. We don't, the image we get about Rose. So, Rose and Nat decide to have some friends over. Kind of like a little house party. And Rose gets rowdy. Because <laughs> she's drinking. And this seems to be Rose's personality. She acts like a fool when she's drinking. She just acts like she's not doesn't have a girlfriend. She's she acts like a doofus, and she she acts 
She acts like a doofus. Um, and, you know, Nat's getting upset. And they end up getting into a fight. Nat- Natalie says that, that that all night Rose has not been around her and stuff. And at that point, like, normally I'm on Natalie's side. But I'm also like, okay, well, you're in this little-ass apartment <laughs> together. She, where did you want her to be? I think she meant like she wanted her to talk to her more and pay more attention and not just try to be, you know, big man here and be like, oh, I'm buying shots. I have jello shots. I need everyone to come over here and pay. Like, I, that she wanted her to be like more low key. Rose is outside. You can tell she's drunk. You can look in her eyes and tell she's drunk, although she's not like flopping all over the place. You can just see it in her face. And she's talking to her friend who looks a lot like, fuck, what is this friend? What is. You know what? It's Rosie. Cousin Rosie. This friend looks a lot like a younger cousin Rosie from New Jersey. Roswell's of New Jersey. And um, she's just telling her that like her whole life set. Her friends are like, she knows exactly. She's got all the friends that she wants. She's got this and that. It's her girl that's not set. And like, <laughs> you're saying that to be fucking mean to her. I mean, it's probably true, but you're saying it right now on camera smiling and shit to fuck with her because you know she's going to see it later. Um, they just continue to fight throughout the rest of the party. Um, Natalie's like confiding in someone in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> Rose does like a talking head. It's not a talking head, but it's more like an interview on the spot. Like, like she's talking directly to the camera, but it's not a talking, but it's not like the sit down thing. And she's like, um, if that bitch doesn't like it, she would leave. She would have left by now. <laughs> like, this is what I'm talking about. Nobody wants to, I mean, obviously, I think Rose and Natalie fight a lot. Obviously, I think they have explosive personalities. I agree with Natalie sometimes. I agree with Rose sometimes. It's really not one person's fault. I, I do think that they want different things from each other. I get that. Cool, 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 cool. No matter what the issue is, nobody wants to see you <laughs> on camera going, being like, if that bitch don't like it, she could go ahead and leave. Nobody wants to see that. That's disrespectful. <laughs> but that's what Rose tells her. And they go upstairs to fight some more, which is awesome when you got people over. Let's just go upstairs and fight a little bit. And so, <laughs> like, like, they're not even mature enough to say, you know, We'll talk later. Let you know. I'll. I'll. You know, there's plenty of people here for us to talk to besides each other. I'll go over here and have some shots with these guys. I'll go over here and have a conversation with those guys. I'll. You know, we can. Or, or if Natalie's tired, feel free to go upstairs, Natalie. Like you know, let, let's let's handle this in a more appropriate time. They don't even have that. They stop upstairs with the dog, and they have a little argument there, and. Just essentially Natalie's calling her rude and says, I'm sorry that you asked me to move in. And Rose, without missing a beat, is like, okay, then move out. <laughs> that I don't know that Rose was thinking that previously, but she could be a hard person. I can see her being a hard person to argue with because she throws things out like she's been waiting to say them. She That might have just came up on the spot, but it doesn't feel like it. And that would have been like, I would have been like, oh, okay, bitch, you've been thinking about telling me to move out. And I'm certain, you know, I very, very, very recently took a, uh, what is it? <laughs> took a, um, 
an attachment style quiz pretty close to the time I should have been took my ass to bed. Um, I forget, like, I don't know her name, but I follow her on Instagram and Twitter. I know her from the EVP, uh, Facebook days. It's a case of like, I know her, but I have, but I absolutely do not know her. She lives in Australia and, um, I think her name is Rosie. Um, and so I follow her and she had mentioned she took an attachment style, um, quiz and the link. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take it too. Cause I want to know what my attachment style is. And my attachment style is fearful, fearful, avoidant attachment style. And let me just give you a couple of, a couple of uh, little points on what, <laughs> none of which will fucking surprise you. Fear of being truly vulnerable and expressing your inner feelings and needs. Trust wounds. <laughs> uh, strong emotions, aggression, or anger at times. <laughs> Great capacity for empathy for others, but often struggle with empathy and kindness towards yourself. My therapist said once said, <laughs> maybe we could be a little nicer to princess. And I was like, when princess does what she's supposed to do, we'll be nice to her. <laughs> and she just... She said, hmm, and started writing. <laughs> Hypervigilance. Poor boundaries and less experiencing anger. Hmm. Passionate, but often emotionally volatile in relationships. Well, well, motherfucking well, guys. <laughs> so who the fuck am I to be giving, <laughs> giving advice on relationships? Like I said, I'm a love terrorist, okay? I'll blow this bitch up over one little fucking thing and take us all together, okay? But the way Rose, I wouldn't be surprised if me and Rose have similar attachment styles. And that essentially, we don't trust people. Trust no bitch. And so we're ready to go. Before you can even try to break up with us, our bag's packed, okay? (laughs) As soon as you're like, princess, we need to talk. I just pull out a suitcase. I'm like, well, you know what? I wanted to leave anyway. <laughs> Running away to to avoid someone even accidentally hurting us. So when she throws out that, maybe you should move out then. <laughs> I was like, damn, Rose. Damn, girl. And that's like, yeah, I still have my apartment. Which gave me, I had some pause there. Why do you still have your apartment, Natalie? Um, and what does that mean? Are you paying rent on that apartment and you just sleep at Rose's house? That's weird. I don't know. The budget in me was like, mm, girl, sounds like your budget's upside down. And then Rose says, they just kind of look at each other. And then Rose looks at her and goes, we done? And I was like, Rose. <laughs> Rose, me, and Kale, we should all just get a little support group. I'm talking about Kale from Team Mom, too, obviously. We should all get just a little support group. We should just hang out with each other and mention how we blow up shit so that we can't. So, because we're afraid somebody else is going to blow it up and we want to blow it up first. And we don't want to get hit with the shrapnel. So, we're the one that hits the thing. We should just get together. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And that's pretty much the end. I mean, actually, what happened, the end for Rose and, and Natalie is that Rose. <laughs> Goes back downstairs and continues playing shit like categories while Natalie goes to bed upstairs and they just broke up. Rose! (laughs) 
Yeah, but that's some shit I would do too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember once <laughs> at a job, someone came over to my desk and I said, and they were like, princess, um, about this report. And I said, I will be happy to put in my two weeks notice. I don't have to work here. <laughs> they had said nothing to me. I never had no problems with them. Nothing. I just felt like they was this was going downhill and I wanted to quit. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the type of person I am. I'm uh what is it? Let me look it up again because I keep remember I keep forgetting it. Um fearful avoidant attachment style. And I'm glad I got I saved this because I want to tell people this when I'm having personal conflict with them. And I'll just be like, where I have a fearful uh avoidant attachment style. And that's why I'm being a bitch right now. <laughs> uh, feelings of ambivalence in relationships often swing from hot to cold. Yeah. <laughs> rose, 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 rose. All right. Let's talk about Whitney. Because she is... As it so happens, this is the second week in a row, and maybe all the weeks it'll be like this. Whitney has the most going on. So Whitney, so remember Whitney dropped off Sada and then went around to her rivals, picked up another chick? It was Tor, whose name is probably like Victoria or something. I'm like obsessed with figuring out what these people's given names are for these nicknames. But, and I apologize, I realize that's probably annoying. It's just that I just want to know how we get to these places. Tor, which is probably short for Victoria. Um, so we pick up Tor, who came in from Connecticut to move to LA. She is Alyssa's cousin. Uh, Alyssa is Whitney's, remember, ex, long time ago ex. So they're friends at this point. They're friends, they're business partners. And in Whitney and Tor work together in Florida. So I find this interesting, the way they paint this. Whitney and Tor work together in Florida, hooked up in Florida. Tor decided to move, she lives in Connecticut, but she decided to move out to LA after hooking up with Whitney. She was in a relationship for like nine years and she doesn't say, but implies that that hookup with Whitney ended that relationship and that's the reason she moved. Great. What I don't understand is why are they downplaying the fact that she's Alyssa's cousin? Because if Whitney and Alyssa are, are business partners and they make prosthetics for movies together, um, wasn't Alyssa in Florida too? And they say Tor's moving out here to LA to stay with Whitney, but Whitney lives with Alyssa. So isn't Tor staying with Alyssa? Now I realize that Tor is staying in Whitney's room, but if Tor was coming out to stay, to get a job and stay with with a with someone in LA wouldn't it be Alyssa wouldn't she be sleeping on the couch is the reason she's staying with Whitney's because she's staying in Whitney's room doesn't you know what I mean I don't know I, I found this interesting or not even interesting confusing um Whitney says that she did not bring up Sada the fact that she had just dropped off Sada before picking up tour because she didn't think it was relevant to to tour Whitney, you're full of fucking shit, okay? Because here's the deal. <laughs> it seems like you keep trying to get people to move 
to LA. First of all, you sleep with people and you're like, come on, move to LA. <laughs> and I'm sure you spoke to Tor the day before. I'm sure. Cause she's flying in and you're picking her up. I don't know why you're picking her up and not Alyssa, but okay. If this was just like Alyssa's cousins who I happen to have hooked up with is moving to LA, you would not picked her up. She would not be in your room. What's more like is that Whitney's, I don't even want to say side piece, Whitney's conquest is moving to LA and staying with Whitney and she just so happens to be Alyssa's cousin. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, tour. so if you're picking me up from the airport the next day, I've spoken to you today before. I've spoken to you once I got on the plane. So that means that while you're waking Sada up and trying to convince her to stay in LA and hugging and kissing on her as she's doing her clown makeup and shit, that means, Whitney, that you got a text from Tor during that time. That means the day before when you're making love to Sada, you got a text from Tor. And I'm sure Tor was like, how was your day? What you up to? And And you didn't say, I'm out with a girl that's staying with me who might be moving to LA. You didn't say that. And I understand. I just, just a while ago, I just said a lot of things aren't people's business when I was defending whether Jill needed to talk about the women she dated before she was ready to. A lot of things are not people's business. I get that. But, and I, and if Whitney wants to say that Sada is not Tor's business, okay. But is Sada not relevant to Tor? That's not true. Because Sada was in the bed before Tor got there. And did Whitney wash her sheets? That's a question we need to answer. Did Whitney wash her sheets? So, at some point, Whitney goes to the Abbey to have a drink. She leaves Tor at home. Tor doesn't want to go. Whitney ends up staying there a long time because all their friends are there. This is, she actually sees Stamey and... Tracy and says she has a crush on Tracy. And I'm like, you don't need no more crushes, girl. Not with all this. Don't you got enough crushes? Um, Romy shows up to the Abbey. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Again, Whitney's there. She's being filmed. Like they said, a lot of their friends were there. I'm sure some text messages went out. To Romy saying Whitney's here and she's and she's got that camera crew with her again. Like this makes it sound. I said this last week too. This makes it make this makes it sound like I don't like Romy or that I think Romy has like bad intentions. Romy later in, in the series becomes the villain. Okay, because she's trying to break Whitney and Sada up, and she's bisexual. No one believes she was gay ever, and just like. <laughs> Like they don't like her anymore. So now, now she's now bisexual isn't a thing. And so, so, um, what was I saying? So like, she does become the villain of the whole fucking show later. But I like Romy and I'm not calling her shady or a villain or any fucking thing like that. I'm not. In fact, I think Sada's more shady than and Romy is. That scene where this is far in seasons far ahead when when um, Sada and Whitney are together together, and this is before they get married. And Whitney, 
Whitney sees, goes to pick up Sada from her job where she's like a hairdresser or whatever, or makeup artist. I don't remember. Um, maybe both. And she's parking around the back to pick up Sada and out the back comes Sada's ex-girlfriend. And Whitney sees her. And then a little while later, Sada comes out because Sada doesn't have a car. I remember she talked about that last week. Um, to drive her. And Whitney asked her, she, Sada's like dancing and wants to talk and shit. And Sada's like, what's wrong? She's like, I just saw so-and-so come out the back. And Sada's like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see her. <laughs> like, like the, the place isn't that fucking big bitch. Like, I think Sada's shadier than uh, fucking uh, Romy is. But I have to call him like I see him and I just don't see Romy just keep showing up. Maybe she would. Maybe Like we keep saying LA's small, small circles. Um, but at the same time, I think it makes more sense that a camera crew is very disruptive and everyone notices and people told her and she showed up. Maybe not even to be on camera, maybe just to see Whitney, but she showed up because of that. So... Whitney takes Romy out to the outback to, to basically interview herself. You know, people are like, did I want to hurt you? No. Did I love you? Yes. Like they answer, they ask a bunch of questions of themselves and then answer them. Um, which is easier than talking because it's easier to answer someone else's questions. Cause you get to ask the right questions to lead you to the right answers. But anyway, She's basically, we have a chemistry. I'm an honest person. I've been completely honest with you, which is not true. Uh, let me, huh, that word honest again. She has been honest with you. She hasn't been truthful with you. And those are two different things. Um, they end up kissing. And she, and Whitney's in her talking head saying like, yeah, women go from, lesbians go from making it, from arguing to kissing all the time. Everyone does that. Everyone does that. So whatever. Um, back home, <laughs> Whitney is with Tor, but goes out to take a call from Romy to the, to like the patio. And Romy is like, if you, I'm like sick of this back and forth. If you, if you know what I want, you don't want to give it and stop pretending like you like me. And Whitney's like, no, I'm not pretending I like you. Um, we have a chemistry. Keep saying that. Um, we're going to have a great friendship. I, why do you need all these friends, Whitney? <laughs> why do you, why do you need all these friends? Why? Anyway, she's talking all out. And Alyssa comes out. And Alyssa's like, <sighs> Alyssa's like, what the fuck? Get off the phone with girl number three because girl number one's in the kitchen. She's talking about Tor, who just kind of like was talking to Whitney and then Whitney just ran outside. And also like, they think that they can, she can probably hear her in there. And Alyssa doesn't care that she's on the phone with Romy. She's like talking all loud and stuff. And Whitney keeps having to put it on mute and shit. Um, it just, it's a weird partner dynamic um, because of they work together, they're best friends, they live together, they were exes as well. Um, and I mean, they've slept together as well. So 
Alyssa is like wondering whether she wants to be a good friend or a cousin. She mentions in this episode that she is usually in the middle of Whitney's stuff, but she's really in the middle this time. And that she's also doing this. She wants to protect her cousin, but she also wants to protect Whitney too. And the reason she wants to protect Whitney is because, um, she knows Whitney's intentions aren't bad, but it's what she's doing isn't good. And it's quite possible that she's going to look like an asshole when everyone finds out and she needs to do, she needs to do better essentially. What we get a little talk about Whitney. Um, gosh, I am going to mispronounce this, but Whitney had Guillaume Bar Barre, um, which is an autoimmune disease where your immune system starts attacking your nervous system. And Whitney says she got hers by through a vaccination, which is rare, apparently. Um, it's triggered by an infection. It's a, well, this is what Wikipedia says. It says sometimes the immune dysfunction is triggered by an infection or less commonly by surgery or very rarely by a vaccination. Um, Whitney says that she was like in a bad place. She was really sick. She was in the hospital. She went blind at one point. Like that sounds fucking terrifying where you just kind of don't know what's going on. I mean, even if doctors know what's going on, figure out what's going on. I can imagine like it taking them a while to figure it out. And then, you know, who knows what the fuck happened with that. So, you know. I mean, not who knows what the fuck happened with that. Who who knows what the recovery rate is for something like that? So while she was in the hospital and everything, she really just, it gave her a new lease on life and she really just like wants to live life to the fullest. She doesn't want bad vibes. She doesn't want to, she just doesn't want to worry about things. She doesn't, she just, it, it explains like her views on life where she doesn't want anybody to be mad at her. She doesn't want to be involved in shit. She just wants to live her life. And she's been in LA for about a year and a half prior to this. Before that, she was in New York, which makes sense because later the seasons, I think it's the third season that has Hunter Valentine on it. Um, and which is one of my favorite seasons because I got a real fucking hard on for kill me. And so, um, I mean, wouldn't be the first or the last. And so she, um, she talks about knowing Kiyomi and other people from New York. So when Whitney gets home, she and Tor are doing the notebook hug. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Ryan Gosling has Rachel McAdams up in the air and they're like running to each other and holding each other, you know. And, but Alyssa's trying to talk about, I guess how she's sick or something. And, you know, they're all over each other. And Whitney keeps like patting her butt and calling them buns, saying they're smooth buns. When are butt cheeks bumpy or, or have rough terrain on them? Butt cheeks usually are smooth. What are you talking about? And also the use of buns. I wonder what Whitney's sex talk game is like. I wonder what she's like, spread your buns. <laughs> is that why she talks? <laughs> I 
I don't know. She did, she's, uh, I don't like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so Alyssa's in worried mode as usual. Tor says she wants a relationship with Whitney, but doesn't know if that's possible. Guess what, Tor? It's not. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so Scarlett's having a party. Remember Scarlett's her good friend from uh, last week? She's having a party. Romy's going to be there. Whitney wants to go. So here's the thing. Whitney's going on at night and stuff. Tor's not invited. And like Whitney says she wants to finish things with Romy before starting things with Tor. What is she talking about? You started something with Tor. Tor's living in your bedroom. Anyway, um, Alyssa doesn't want her to go. Alyssa's mad about it. She says she thinks that Whitney needs to, she doesn't think Whitney needs to go see Romy, that she's going to end up sleeping with her. She needs to leave that alone. And Whitney is like outside and her and like Alyssa are out there like kind of arguing, kind of whisper talking and like Tor's in the house and Tor, you don't know what the fuck is going on. (laughs) Alyssa's like, Oh, Whitney's like, I don't know if I want something with Tor. And Alyssa's like, did you tell her that before she got here? Because I don't think so. Which is, yeah. Did you tell her that? And Alyssa's like, she's sleeping in your room. Um, Maybe nothing's happened yet, but something's going to happen. You guys are in the bed together every day. And you're going out to see Romy. And it's just not, don't do that. And... You know, Whitney's like looking all bent out of shape. I mean, she says Alyssa is the person that she goes to for comfort and stuff. And it's really hard that Alyssa's calling her out and telling her some hard truths. At least she acknowledges their truths because they are. And the fact is, is that you should have never invited Tor here to come stay with you. Like, this is the second time in as many episodes we've seen Whitney trying to convince some woman that she has, you know, not a a hardcore relationship with, you know, just maybe hook up relationships, which is not super serious. Although Whitney has just has said that in the lesbian community and the women dating women community that the line between dating and a relationship is very thin. She's right. But... You knew that, Whitney, and you cannot hook up with these girls, convince them to move to L.A. Like, what do you, do you work with the, uh, <laughs> with the L.A. Tourism Board? Why do you keep trying to convince people to move to L.A.? If you had sex with someone in Florida, leave them in Florida. Don't go back. <laughs> Don't tell them to move there. But I think what happens is that the person starts talking about, you know, maybe starting something more serious with Whitney, and she's like, yeah, but you don't live in L.A. And then... Like, I, like she was doing with Sada, like she really leans on that you don't live in L.A. and like you should move to L.A. and stuff like that. And then the next thing you know, they're in fucking L.A. I don't know. She Whitney is fucking crazy. And so, um, you know, Alyssa, Alyssa, like I said, she's pissed. And she's like, I, I know that you don't want people, like you don't want to be in a situation where people are crying and shit. And being all like, and being all like um, upset and stuff. You don't want that, but it seems like all your actions 
are leading to that and you need to figure that the fuck out and she's right she's fucking right so yeah that's pretty much the end that's everybody that's the end of the episode um yeah guys I'll talk to you next week. Hit up the Patreon. If you want bonus episodes, it's at patreon.com backslash buy pumpkin. Follow me at okaythenprincess on Instagram and Twitter. And make sure you follow and comment on buy pumpkin podcast on Instagram. Um, Thanks. Later.